ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chicky Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chicky Fitzgerald, and we have another Back by Popular Demand series for you today. And our guest is Gloria Felt, and the last time we had Gloria on was 2012, and we were talking about her book, No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change how we think about power. Gloria, welcome back. Thank you, Chicky. I'm delighted to be back, and that's a very auspicious uh, redo here because we'll talk about how the book turned into a whole organization. Well, and I am so excited to hear about that. And, you know, I've been reaching out to the authors that we have talked to asking if they had a new book, and you said, well, no, I don't exactly have a new, new book, but, you know, and then you talked about your baby, so we're going to talk about your baby, uh, which is an organization called Take the Lead. Why don't you, before we dive into that, uh, Gloria, why, for those of our audience who aren't familiar with you, and I, I can't believe that uh, there aren't any, and, and you are a, a feminist icon, and it's funny because, you know, I've been running the Executive Girlfriends Group for eight years, and I, I always kind of teeter on the edge of, of uh, being associated with the traditional term feminist because so many people have, have a negative view of that term. But you are a champion of women. Let, let's just start with that. And, uh, Gloria, if you could just give us uh, the thumbnail about you and then we can catch up and talk about Take the Lead. Well, first, thank you for those very kind words. And, uh, yes, I, I definitely embrace the word feminist as uh, as as meaning – very simply, that everyone deserves to have full equality and an equal place at the table and an equal opportunity to thrive in this world and to be able to develop and use their highest and best gifts and skills. And so, um, so, so I wear the badge with honor and pride. So thank you very uh, much for that, that. That's really, really great. Uh, well, so so here's the thing. You know, some pe- some of us fail retirement, and I am one of those. <laughs> I, I will not take up the entire hour by giving you my whole life's history because it's a it's a long it's a long story. But essentially, unlike many of the women who people think of as being those feminist icons, I actually grew up in small Texas towns. I, I was a high school dropout, a teen mom. I, I married my high school sweetheart and had three children by the time I was age 20. Oh and my. I really wanted to be the archetype of what women were expected to be. And I, I, I somehow, I, I just awakened at one point and realized that I, I loved my children very much. I wouldn't have traded anything for them. And in fact, my uh, upcoming Fast Company article is going to be about why we should put parenthood on our resumes. So I think parenthood is very important for those who choose to become parents. But that having been said, I realized I also had a brain, and I became involved in uh, community service activities. I started to college uh, just after my 20th birthday, and, you know, I just started to, to, to branch out. And then I realized that I, I I realized that 
you know, I was helping civil rights organizations and that if there were civil rights, then that must mean women have them too. And that was the epiphany that led me to decide I would devote the rest of my life to helping women have that equal place at, at the table. And um, I, I had a 30-year career with Planned Parenthood. I actually started teaching Head Start. That was my first real job. And then I had a 30-year career with Planned Parenthood, always as the CEO of either a local affiliate or in the last nine years of, of that tenure as uh, CEO of the national organization. And I, it was great, and it was wonderful, and it was time for me to move on. And I, I had been wanting to be a writer since I was three years old, and I had dictated a poem to a teacher, and she taught it to other children, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever in the whole world. And I, I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I'd never quite had time, or I guess I should say I never took the time to right. be a writer. And I st- so I started writing some books, and, and the last book that I wrote, which was No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power, came out of my discovery that we had opened the doors. I mean, the, women have accomplished so much in the last 50 to 100 years. It's it's really been pretty astonishing how much change there has been. But we had opened the doors, we had changed the laws, and that was the challenge of the 20th century. But what I discovered was that women weren't walking through the doors at a rate fast enough to get us to parity in my lifetime. And in fact, right. not for another 70 years or so. So that just, that was a shocker for me. And, and I wrote No Excuses as an exploration of why had this happened and what could be done to change that pattern. And once I had done that, I found that people immediately started asking me to create workshops and teach them my nine leadership power tools, which I had written into the book. And ultimately, I also know, as somebody who's been involved in social movements all my life, that one person can do a lot, but you can't do everything. And if you really want to make sustainable change, you have to have many people working on it. You have to create a movement. You have to have an organization to support it. So in 2012, really just very soon after you and I spoke last, a colleague and I, Amy Litzenberger, and I decided that we would create the organization Take the Lead. And uh, we started with no money. We started very small. We had a launch event in February of 2019. Uh, Cheryl Sandberg was a keynote speaker. Carla Harris was a keynote speaker. We had some really great speakers. We filled a 3,000-seat auditorium, and we realized there was so much demand we could have filled it twice. And we we know that we had at least a half a million people watching it on live stream in 48 countries, and that was with no advertising. That was with reaching out to some women's groups and using social media, but we really didn't have any you know, significant funding to, to, uh, to do advertising about it. That told us there was a need, that told us there was a hunger more than a demand, really a hunger, and that this was the right moment. So after that, uh, we've been we've been further refining and creating additional training uh, training tools, uh, workshops, webinars, online courses, and uh, also uh, now I am training other people to do the training that I do, so that there are more people 
from all around the country and from different sectors of the economy who can do this training. And we also do some in-person events, role model events. Soon we will be starting a mentoring digital platform. And then finally, we do thought leadership to change the narrative in our own minds from this incessant focus on what's wrong with women and what the problem is. And then, right. oh, yeah, well, women must be the problem, to a focus on solutions and recognizing that, in fact, women are the answer. So, Gloria, um, we're, we're going to talk about uh, a number of things. I'd like to, to talk a little bit more uh, about the organization it, itself, and, and but first I'd like to talk about where where women are and what progress have we made, particularly in the C-suite and also in the boardroom, because I, I think um, the last time we talked, we talked about the statistic, and I'm not remembering the numbers right now, but that companies that have women on the C-team and companies that have women on the board uh, in a larger proportion than their peers have a higher level of profitability. Exactly, exactly. So there is, as they say, good news and bad news in answer to your question. There has been some progress, but at the rate we are going, we are still on that same trajectory that I mentioned before. So we're increasing, we increase by a percentage point or so every year. And that's not enough even incrementally to get us to parity across the board until about another, now we're at about 63 years from now. <clears throat> wow. And I, I think that's just too long. I think we just need to say, no way, we're not going to do that. But here's some good news. I believe this is what has been called a strategic inflection moment, where that business case, the fact that when you have more women in top leadership positions, a company literally makes more money, and that has now been shown over and over and over again by every major consulting firm has done studies, Ernst & Young, Catalyst, um, Deloitte, Bain, um, McKinsey, you name it. They have confirmed this in so many different ways that those companies with more women in their leadership do better. They just do better in all kinds of ways. Right. The World Bank has looked at parliaments also, and I think this is significant for businesses as well because it has to do with how decisions get made. And the World Bank has looked at the parliaments, and they find that those with more women on them have a better decision-making process. And it, it, I believe that I don't really think there are biological differences that much in how, how men or women lead. But I do think that women have been socialized more, and now this is to our advantage, that we have been socialized to be more attuned to what people are really thinking when they're talking. Right. And if that really Gloria, can I, can I get you to speak? I don't know if you're using a headset, but if you can speak just a little bit uh, closer to uh, the mic of whatever you're talking into. Oh, you're, certainly. No, you're I'm just not a little it. bit faint, and I don't want our, our listeners to miss anything that you're saying. 
Oh, thank you so much for for telling me that. I I am using my phone and I'm probably using my hands and moving my face away oh, from Oh, and you. I I do that when I don't have my headset. <laughs> I'm moving the the phone all over the place. So, uh um so I want to touch on a blog that you wrote on Fast Company not long ago about how the idea of strong women unintentionally hurts female leaders and you you've got a great picture of Margaret Thatcher. Uh, you know, on a on a very old television set. So, so would you talk to our listeners a little bit about that? Because you know, as you, you talked about how there weren't really differences with us physically, um, you know, that that made us better leaders or worse leaders. But but this whole notion of you've got to be strong and you've got to be as strong as men um, has been something that those of us who have been in the business world have been conditioned, you know, whether it was said overtly or not. So talk to us a little bit about that. What really grates on me, you know, like kind of the old chalk on the blackboard kind of thing, mm-hmm. it just uh, it, it makes my, my sexism firing light up when people say to me, oh, she's a strong woman. Oh, Chicky's a strong woman to describe a leader who happens to be female. And my concern about it is that the implication is that the default for women is that we are not strong, that, in fact, we're some kind of delicate flower. And would you ever hear anybody say about a man, oh, he's a strong man, unless they're talking about literally his physical strengths? Right, right. So uh, so this is somewhat in contrast to what you were saying, but I think it's not in conflict. It's just a bit of a contrast with what you were saying. For me, when people say someone, when people attach the adjective strong to describe a woman, it feels like they're assuming that most women are weak. When in truth, have you ever had a baby? Oh, um, <laughs> you know, you've got to be pretty strong to do that. Have you, yeah. you know, have you, have you taken care of uh, all the things that we women take care of? You got to be really strong to do to handle all of the multiple things that we juggle all the time. And uh, in, in a way, it's kind of a, it's it's really a, a diminishment to say, oh, she's a strong woman, because it's an adjective. I think Gloria Steinem called it uh, the politics of the unnecessary adjective, like saying a woman artist or versus just she's an artist. Right. Right. So uh, that's that's my concern about it, and I think that when women are normalized as being leaders, we won't hear that phrase quite as much. So, yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question. So how, how do we battle that when when we see that behavior in our male peers in a company um, and – is there a way that we can talk about that that disarms it? Well, that's a, that's just a really great question, and it opens up the entire conversation about implicit bias. And the implicit bias, of course, is these biases that we are all acculturated to. We all learn these implicit biases with our mother's milk. It's in the culture men and women learn the same implicit biases. And I'll give you an example of that from some um, experiments that were done with a picture of a baby 
whose gender was uh, was you couldn't know the gender by looking at the baby's face. <clears throat> Excuse me. When told that this was a female baby and the baby was crying, when told that the crying baby was female, and and asked what emotion she was showing, the majority of people said she was afraid. She was showing fear. When told the same baby was a male and asked what <clears throat> excuse me, what the crying baby was exhibiting, the majority of people said, Oh, the baby is angry. So we begin <laughs> to make assumptions about gender and gender behavior and gender quali- qualities. I mean, at the moment of birth. It just it just and that gets inculcated into everyone's thinking. So I believe the the solution is to study implicit bias, to unpack it, to assure that people understand what it is and begin to see where their own biases are existing. And then, number one, people just get more sensitive to it and, and they can call themselves out. And number two, we have more ability to, to call out implicit bias when we are getting the raw end of the deal with it. And by calling it out, I don't really know, I don't mean being mean and nasty about it, I, or con, even confrontational. I just mean that when people understand implicit bias, you can say, um, excuse me, but I think that you're making an assumption that actually isn't accurate. And here's what I was intending to do or say. So I'll give you an example of how this plays out in terms of the pay gap and how it plays out in terms of whether men versus women get that promotion. This is called the mommy penalty and the daddy benefit. (laughs) It is assumed, the implicit bias is, that if a woman is a parent, she is going to pay less attention to her job. Therefore, she is less likely to get a promotion. The man is more likely to get the same promotion that the woman might have been going for because it is assumed if he is a parent that he's going to be more of an upstanding guy and he's going to be working harder to support his family. Right. Now, I don't know about you, but my paycheck goes as much to support my family as my husband's. Well, I was always the breadwinner uh, in our family. We've been married uh, 25 years, and it's actually only been the last four years that my husband has has been paying the basic bills with his job. Um, He had been the Mr. Mom for many years, and uh, at age 61, he got the job of his dreams and and now is out on the road all of the time. So I had to take over as the mom four years ago, and I didn't even know what my children liked for lunch. (laughs) I mean, I was like the antithesis of the mom because we had had a live-in nanny, and I've had my own business for 20 years, so, you know, I've I've always had a lot of time at home, you know, perhaps more than, than most, but my responsibilities just were really super different. <laughs> and you know that's perfectly fine, and now you're learning, and how good well, for him that he has the job of his dreams. Well, uh, he does, and it has been really... Uh, and it was never a problem when we got married. He always knew I was going to be 
uh, you know, had had more earning capacity than he did just simply because of of the job that I held and the experience that I had. And and uh, it's been really funny because the last four years, you know, between 61 and 65 for him, uh, I have watched him blossom in a way that, you know, it's like I, I don't even recognize him. And it, and it's, it is because he's finally, you know, carrying his weight. And I still earn money too, but, uh, you know, he has been able to take over that role. So it, we've kind of had the reverse in our household. But I want to get back to, to the earning inequality because you you uh, quoted this in a, a recent article that you wrote about uh, kind of the history of women's leadership that women still earn 79 cents to the men's dollar yes yes and and it it does loop back to the implicit bias issue Part and so you were talking is. about the 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 mommy and and daddy situation so uh, again, I, I want to try to to call out those things that we can do. It's it's one thing to sit back and, and say that we're observing these things, um, but it's quite another to actually step up and do something about it. And I've heard uh, so many of our guests talk about how you know women just don't negotiate the way that men do, and that we are afraid to ask. And and we we don't get because we don't ask, and so is is that really the core of the solution? I think it is. I think it is the definition of a big part of the problem, and it is also the core of the solution. And I'll tell you why. Um, it, it, women will typically not raise their hand. They will assume that that it's the meritocracy we live in. And it turns out that's not really the case, that as my father used to say to me, she who asks gets. And that is so true. You have to, in other words, to, to win political office, you have to run for it. To get a job, you have to ask for it. To get promoted to the C-suite, you have to raise your hand and say, that is my aspiration, that is my intention. I want to have a career path that leads me in that direction. And, yes, I want that particular position. Um, here's the very good news, though, and this is why the solution is right there in the problem. These are learnable and teachable skills. We can learn. We can learn. Once we learn and can look and see what our own styles are, we can actually learn negotiation skills. We can learn how to advocate for ourselves more effectively. We can learn self-presentation that will cause people who are making hiring decisions or promotion decisions or salary decisions to see us as more capable and able to take on that next role. So the solution is right there in the question, and these are learnable, teachable skills. Here are a couple of examples. Katie Orenstein started the op-ed project when she saw that there were only 15% of the that only 15% of the bylines on the op-ed pages of major newspapers were women. What she found when she did her research was that women only pitched 15% of the of the op-ed pitches. Right. Well, you 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 got a pitch, you know, and that so the <laughs> exactly. men were doing 85% of the pitching and then they would pitch again if they got rejected, 
they would just keep on pitching it, or they would go to someplace else until they finally got published. If a woman was, was declined, she would just go away and be, you know, just say, well, okay, so they didn't take it. So Katie started 10 years ago. She started the op-ed project and has been training women to write and pitch their op-eds. And it's taken 10 years, but that number is now up to 25%. So we're not up to parity yet, but what you can see is that they are learnable and teachable skills. At Take the Lead, we created the Close the Gap app. And it's a, it's, it's a, actually it's a, it's a website that you can use on your computer or on any of your handheld devices. And the Close the Gap app will take you through the process of how to do an, an effective negotiation. It will literally spit out for you a, uh, a, a script that you can use as the basis for your negotiating. So it, there are many, many different resources out there now, and we can learn. We can change our behaviors. And we do have a double-edged sword. Now, it is true that women are judged more harshly when they ask for promotions and raises than men are. It's the same implicit bias. It's assumed a man will do that. Aggressiveness right. is a positive thing for a man. It's a negative thing for a woman. So we can also teach you little tweaks of how you make those asks that, make, that allow you to be heard. Well, and you also uh, have a number of courses, and I was just looking at your Leadership Power Tools uh, course, and a part of that, you know, and, and this gives uh, an online certificate uh, you know, for the women that take this course, but within that course, you are actually talking about those tools, networking and negotiating, and creating an action plan for yourself. Um, so what, what kind of experiences have, have you heard about of the women who have come in and, and taken these courses? Um, is it simply a matter of once they have heard it that they can then do it, or do you have an ongoing coaching relationship with them? Up to this or point, both. Up to this point, we have just been delivering the courses, and we have not had an ongoing coaching relationship. That is about to change because what I've found is that every time I teach the course, there are some women who ask me for uh, advice or references for coaches, and I've come to realize that 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 it's, it would be a good service to be able to add. And fortunately, many of the leadership ambassadors that I have trained to do the, the training are also coaches. So we now have a resource that we can provide to women who want to have coaching as they, after they leave the course, after they have their power tools and nice. they start to implement them, we can give them more access to, to coaching. But I, w I would love to tell you some of the stories. I, I, have to, I, I just am blown away. I am, I am in tears often at things that happen. I, 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 it, everything from Carrie, a stay-at-home mom who was trying to decide how she wanted to re-enter the, the workforce, and she decided she was going to run for city council. Really? Yes, and she, at the end of the course, and she did, and she did not win, but it made her so passionate that she's going to run again, and in the meanwhile, she's taking a lot of other political, uh, you know, courses and uh, training about how you more effectively run for politics, and she'll do it. She'll eventually She'll eventually win. I, I have no doubt of that because she's now got her intention firmly set. 
and that's what I help women do. Um, other women like like Valerie, who who called me a year after she had taken the course. I I hadn't seen her. I you know she was not someone that I had known before she took the course. And she called me and she said, I just wanted to let you know that when I took your course and I did my action plan, I set my goal to become a vice president of my company. She worked for a, a big financial institution. And today I was promoted to vice president. So I wanted to let you know that I used your power tools, I followed my action plan, and I reached my goal. And that actually was now about another year or so ago, and I just noticed when I got an email from her that she is now a senior vice president. Oh, wow. What a great I will give you a story. third example that just really makes me very happy, and it is of a young woman who who read the book. She didn't actually even take the course, but she read the book, and she was just going through her first round of job interviews out of college, and she ended up asking for $10,000 more than she was offered, and she got it. Wow. I love those stories. They make me so happy. They just they keep me going. They energize me. Um, Gloria, you've mentioned, you know, women of different ages and, and different situations. Do you find um, when women go through your course that there is a substantial difference in how they absorb the information from say, the millennials to those of us who are maybe trying to decide in our, our 50s or even our 60s what it is that we want to do with our life, right, and and how we're going to take the lead in our own lives. So uh, it's really the genera- the generational question of, of girls who are coming up and who are young. How do they behave differently? You know, I'm finding that I have to answer that question with a – there's almost a, a matrix that I have to answer it with because there are also variations depending upon geography. The young women who are in the population centers of the East and West Coasts have had such a richness of opportunity to see women leaders and to to, to have some of this kind of, uh, you know, this, this new acculturation just sink into them. And they have been raised to believe they can do anything and they should do everything, uh, which is actually one of the problems they have is they think they have to do everything. And we have to say, no, actually, you have to choose what it is you want to do because you, 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 you really have to, you know, you need to focus. But um, the women who are in the more conservative parts of the country are maybe not – they're just not as likely. They, they are still much more um, – they're much more likely to find this material new and even more empowering to them, even more inspiring to them. But women of every age, and it's interesting because I just um, I, I just attended one of our workshops that one of our leadership ambassadors was doing here in New York, and a highly sophisticated young woman, I would say in her mid-20s, participated in it and she was she was completely enthralled with it. I mean, she had she had example after example of times when she had thought there were no there were no barriers to her. But whoops, actually she had come face to face with some kind of 
of gender-related barriers that she had not anticipated and had not been prepared for. So while there are differences in how the material is learned and received, um, the commonalities among women is actually even stronger. And I've done it in several different ways. I mean, sometimes I'm teaching it in a cohort of women who are similar to one another. Right. So for so for example, I teach this as an academic course. So so I have college women and and most of them then are are under at least under age 25. And 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 the material is relevant to them. They do have some different questions. They're at a different phase of life. They're at they're asking questions like Okay, so when and how am I going to work parenthood into all of this? The women at mid-career, what I'm most wanting to do is to help them not drop out. Because too many women start facing those constant paper cuts of biases, and they just decide, I'm getting out of here. I don't even want to be in this culture anymore. I want them to know they can change the culture. And I want one generation of women to change the culture, and then it'll be better for men and women. And then there are the women who are just under the C-suite. And in that situation, I think they really do need a different, an additional set of skills around, around what it takes to, to move into the C-suite and to move into the CEO position within the C-suite. You, you need some different questions about how you think about whatever it is that you know you're dealing with whatever sector you're dealing with so yes there are differences but i will tell you that one of the most fun things is to have a class that has all of those different women in it and then they kind of can mentor each other and learn from each other and learn across generations i think that's really helpful as well well i just came off of uh volunteering on a a weekend retreat um it's a, a program for teen girls that is really all around uh, their self-esteem, and um, it's faith-based. But but at the at the bottom um, common denominator is a lot of these girls, and, and they're 15 to uh, I guess they can be as old as 21. But the the really interesting thing about the weekend is that there are I think somewhere around 20 talks given uh, over the weekend, and some are given by their peers. Right, who are sharing how they came out of whatever their story is, and um, you know, and and there's a wide range of experiences that get shared, and then there are also experiences shared by the adults who have been through a, a similar weekend getaway, um, you know, for uh, designed for adult women, and there's a, a corollary for for the guys. And my my 15 year old son is leaving today to go to the boys' weekend, and I'm really excited to see what's going to happen. But you know that that blending of the different generations is is uh, you know manifests itself in in a very very interesting way. And in the past, when I volunteered on this weekend, I uh, typically I'm put in a, a leadership role. Uh, just because of uh, the fact that I've been volunteering on this uh, weekend for over 10 years. And I I always cringe when I'm assigned having teens on my team, because not because I don't like them, but because their work ethic is so different than, you know, getting assigned adults. What are you finding in in the work ethic um, of, of the younger generations? And are there things in your training programs um, that address that work ethic? 
Okay, so your question flags for me the things that make me crazy. Can I vent a little bit about those? Sure. The things that make me crazy about working with with younger people is uh, not answering emails. Yes. Um, You have to send them a text to tell them that they have an email. Yes, exactly. Uh, Not responding to phone calls. Setting, you know, they've learned, and I think this is important, and we do need to teach women, and we do teach women at Take the Lead, that we need to set our own boundaries about when we are working and when we are not. But that having been said, um, for me and my generation, if something needs to be done, I'll keep working until it's done. I'm not, you know, that's that's my boundary is, my boundary is this work has to get done. And I find that with with younger uh, younger women, there is often a need to explain why it's important sometimes to break your own rules about setting boundaries. Yes, you don't want to work yourself to death. You do want other people to know what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. At the same time, when you're working for an organization that has a certain set of goals, it's also important to be part of that team and make those goals happen. So, <clears throat> or even just for yourself. If you really want to succeed, many times you're going to do things you don't like to do, and you're going to work (laughs) longer than you want to work, and you're going to work harder than you wanted to work, and sometimes you're going to screw up. And when you screw up, you need to be the one who says, I screwed up. Here's how I'm going to fix it. You've just heard my lecture 101. Well, and we were talking just before the show started that my uh, my 17-year-old daughter uh, started a new job this week, and it's her first paid job position she's done some uh you know some volunteering and some internships uh in the past but uh this week was spring break and so of course she didn't get to enjoy spring break like a lot of her friends did and uh you know she came home every night exhausted which i i kind of took a little bit of of a, a sick pleasure in that but you know when i would ask her to do her normal chores around the house which is to keep the kitchen clean and uh you know she's the one who does the laundry in the house and she's like oh you know i'm so tired it's like okay so now you're getting a taste of <laughs> how how you have to balance being a part of a family because right. you know i said kira i work every day she said yeah but you're here because i work out of my home i said but that doesn't mean i'm not working right the fact that i can walk over and make myself a cup of coffee in the kitchen may be nice or i can go put a load of laundry in 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 the uh, washing machine but the fact is i work from the time i get up in the morning until you know quite often the early hours of the morning and yeah when it's time to make dinner i sure would rather go out to eat but you know somebody's got to do it so um you know i i think we can't just assume that the younger women understand those things that you're talking about and and you know the communication thing i think is is really going to manifest itself over the next 10 years in business because our generation even though maybe we well i grew up with technology because i i was in technology jobs uh you know from my first moment into the workplace but um you know we we did grow up with email i mean we saw it emerge as as a technology that we could take advantage of it was integrated into our companies and and into the things that we we do and and you're right the they they just don't communicate with the same tools and i recently and and this happened to be a young man who was in his early 30s um i was 
uh, hiring him to do sales for me, and I could not get him to document his sales activities in a sales platform. And, you know, they had all kinds of really easy ways that you could, you know, copy the sales platform on the email so that it just automatically captured it. But he did so much of what he did in, in text that, um, you know, that he, th- there was just no easy way for him to do it. So it didn't get done. And, uh, you know, I think these are the things that as as these young women want to grow into respected leadership roles and command the kind of money that we should be paid and and you're right uh you know that that equality for the work product it shouldn't matter what gender is delivering that work product now it has to be high quality right but communication is so large a a part of the leadership role yeah very true and and i know you know we all had to learn many of these things the hard way we all had to we we weren't we i probably you and i were not born knowing i know i wasn't born knowing a lot of these things either so we all had to take our lumps and we all uh, of uh, all of us as we grew uh, we we had to learn many of these skills and many of these ways of communicating with people but i you know one of the most important things that i try to tell younger women who will say things like, well, I don't really want the level of responsibility. You know, I don't want to keep advancing even. I, I don't want to have a, a high level of responsibility because then it then I have to work harder. It takes my time. I'm, you know, they have all kinds of projected reasons that they think they don't want to take greater levels of responsibility, possibly because they're working very hard in their entry-level positions. But what I try to point out to them is that actually the higher you go on the leadership ladder, the more control you have over how and when you do your work. And so it's actually beneficial to keep moving on up and to keep putting yourself in a position so that people will trust you with higher levels of responsibility and hire you for those positions or, or you, you take them if you're an entrepreneur or whatever you're, or you move up in your profession, whatever it might be, the higher up you go, the more you actually are able to control your hours, to uh, set your parameters, to you just are more in control, and, and that level of control makes you feel more powerful right. for yourself. And, and, and I, I hope that young women can see that light at the end of the tunnel. So, Gloria, tell me where you would like to see Take the Lead um, end up. I mean, is this an organization that is designed to put itself out of business when you've achieved uh, the the level of equality in the marketplace, or does Take the Lead just move to a new level? We'll find that out as we go. Our mission is to prepare, develop, inspire, and propel women to take their fair and equal share of leadership positions across every sector by 2025. So for sure, we've got a good 10 years' work ahead of us, and if we achieve that goal, it will be a pretty amazing feat because, as I've already mentioned, that's that's uh, uh, about 50-some-odd years faster than we're currently going. Right. Uh, but and I how believe, do you measure that, by the way? Well, that's a good question, and there are we we have to measure in both macro and and 
um, smaller chunks. Uh, so the two ways that we measure are these. First of all, th there is a baseline study that's been done twice. The first was done by the White House Project, and they looked at all, they looked at, I think they, they chose about 10 sectors, and they measured in top leadership what the percentage is of women. That was about 18%, and that was about 10 years ago when they did that study. So across every sector, women were about, at about 18% on average of the top leadership positions in every sector of the economy, in government, and anywhere you looked. The uh, White House project went out of business, and uh, that study has been done a second time about two years ago now by um, a university in Colorado, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you the proper name for it, so I'm not going to say the name of it, but I can send you a link to it if you want that information. And they, they did a more extensive look at the various different sectors, and we're beginning to see some progress in some of them. There are some sectors where women are inching up and breaking that 20% barrier. And um, so there's a, been a little bit of progress, and that has been documented. So there are those macro studies, and I, I'm hoping that the academic study will continue because it really takes a research heft of a university or some kind of institution like that to, to be able to, to measure that macro uh, cultural look. What we do at Take the Lead is we track the extent to which people, the women who take our courses, are actually using the action plans that they set for themselves. So as I mentioned, a part of the course is to create your own strategic leadership action plan using your power tools, having redefined power in a way that is authentic to women and that we, we want to embrace and we want to take our intentions further and higher. So we haven't been able to do this with every single time we've delivered the training just because of the logistics of it, but particularly when we work for a company that's willing to go in and do a survey, say, a month and then three months and then six months later, we can track whether the women are actually using their action plans to pursue higher levels of attainment than they would have if they hadn't taken the course. So those are sort of the macro and micro ways we're doing it right now. To be honest with you, I'm trying to raise the money to do a much more, a much broader kind of evaluation and one that measures changes in the, the culture of the organization as well. Right. Um, well, and, and I think one of the other things, and, and perhaps because I have been a serial entrepreneur for 20 years, is I think you really also have to, and, and perhaps it's a separate study because it is such a different animal, is take a look at the venture capital community yes. and the 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 number of women who are actually investing their own capital in women-led firms and and what level of women-led firms are getting money from male-dominated venture capital because there there's a huge gap um in in that world and and I'm about to go out and raise uh, a round of funding for my tech company and you know I'm trying to figure out whether I go the route of looking at at women uh owned VC firms or private equity firms uh, that are dominated by women, because I, I think they will be much more understanding 
of where I am and why I took the path that I did because I've been self-funding uh, my tech company for a couple of years now and, and have moved much slower because of that, by the way. Um, but I, I had uh, some very definite reasons for doing that. I, I had a spectacular failure with raising a very large amount of money from a, a um a male dominated organization and uh, there were decisions that were made um you know that led to the company being shut down when I was on my uh, a cruise for my 50th birthday I came back and my company was shut down <laughs> and and so I'm I'm inching you know much much more slowly but this whole issue of of women being recognized for their entrepreneurial talents and their tenacity Right, because when when you talk about the things that we really bring to the table, um, you know, and we have to have that tenacity because we quite often are balancing many more things at the same time uh, than our male counterparts, and it's not that they can't, they don't, and they just don't enjoy it. I mean, I think they could if you push them, but they like doing one thing could. at a time. Yes, I suspect they could, actually. I think that's a novel idea, and we should go forward with that. Yes, a, a little bit. <laughs> right. As as uh, as Leonard says on the uh, uh, Big Bang Theory, if you're a fan of it, it's my favorite program. Sarcasm? Yes, that was a little sarcasm on my part. <laughs> I think they could do that. I think the men could probably do that. Uh, yes, no, I, you brought up so many things, and I'm glad you did because we're seeing a huge upsurge in women entrepreneurs, and partly that's because of the the many women who are so smart and so well-educated and so well-prepared and ambitious who went to work in the corporate world and felt that the culture was oppressive and they bailed out, but they want to use their talents, and so they start their own businesses. So that's that's one wave that's happening. The, the second wave is just women who know from the beginning that if they want to be able to be in control of their own lives and schedules and 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 uh, feel that they are uh, uh, they have the ability to de- design and define their lives, that having your own business is a good way to do that. I think right. there are many more young women who feel that way and who set out on that path earlier. But you're absolutely right. Women have typically self-funded or if they got funding from some other source, it was about a fourth of what the men were getting. Yes, and yes. they were much less likely to get bank funding, uh, much less likely, as you say, to get VC funding. Uh, there were virtually no female angel investors, but now there's a huge upsurge in that too. Right. So I think, you know, I think it's a great moment. I think it's uh, there are all kinds of programs now to help women learn how to pitch, learn how to find the money, get the money. Right, but you know, I'm wondering, Gloria, whether there isn't an opportunity for uh, another type of learning program that Take the Lead could offer that was crafted, you know, kind of co-crafted with, and whether it's private equity or, or, or venture or angel groups that are led by women, to put together the fundamentals that if they had gone through that certification course, that they were essentially pre-screened. Now, the idea still has to be good, and the marketplace still has to be there for the product, and the team has to be right. But one of the things that I have observed in the entrepreneurial world is, and and I just talked to a woman uh, today who 
came out of Motorola. She's an engineer, has a great idea, and but it's it's a very engineering heavy company, and she doesn't have the people who have the skills. And I've often thought that having a network of women who have skills who can help those companies because you don't need necessarily some of those really high level skills full time, but you know having virtual teams of people that can help get companies to the level where they could raise money effectively, right, and and where that can be a mentorship role. I, I think there could be something really, really important there um, because, you know, owning your own business is something I'm very passionate about, and I try to get young women interested in that because the, the notion that working for a company is somehow providing security is way way old and you know that is just not the case anymore um so i think that there's there's an amazing amount of opportunity so if you ever want to pursue that i would love to talk to you about that further would love to uh and one of the one of the things that differentiates take the lead and i'd love to just list what some of those are and 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 i will start with this one is that we see our scaling up strategy as being one of collaboration we aren't needing to become a huge organization anything anytime we can do something that needs to be done and do it in collaboration with other organizations or individuals who are on that same path we think that's a win-win-win we call that having a philosophy of the more there is the more there is (laughs) right so so we that's that's how we that's how we have gotten as big as we are as fast as we have to be honest with you because we 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 have this philosophy of collaborating on actually many of the things that we do, and um, the the um, other differentiating points are very relevant to this as well, and I think it's it possibly even more relevant to entrepreneurs and to females who are interested in being entrepreneurs, even than women who are in the corporate world, and that is how we work with women to redefine power in their own minds so that it goes from a negative and oppressive idea that has permeated our culture for millennia of power as the power over to an expansive, innovative, um, creative, collaborative idea of the power to, that we can we, we, we can use power in a positive way. And women have borne the brunt of so much negativity about power that when I started out, so many women would say, well, don't even say the word power. It's a bad word. <laughs> well, you can't get anything done without power. You can't get anything done right. if you don't embrace your power. So once we redefine it into a concept that women feel comfortable with, then, then they'll say to me, oh, yeah, well, I want that. I want that kind of power. So our training is rooted in that sophisticated look at power, deconstructing it, um, recreating it in a way that we feel not only comfortable but actually want to embrace it and use it with a great deal of intentionality and to recognize that it's not a finite pie and that if I help you and you help me, we both have more. Definitely. yeah, and women are really good at working together that way once they open up that door. So those are just some of the differentiating aspects of Take the Lead, and that's why what we do is useful regardless of the sector that the woman is in. And um, we're actually um, we're actually planning to do a whole series. We we do a monthly free virtual happy hour. It's just a, it's an online uh, it's a it's an online uh, video chat 
and uh, we do it every month uh, on Wednesdays at 6.30 Eastern Time. And people, if they're interested, can go to our website and, and check out and see what, what the topics are. And then once we've done them, they're posted on our website, so you can still have access to them. But uh, we are we are interested in doing a whole series on entrepreneurship. So I think stay tuned, stay tuned. We may we may we may need your guidance on that because I think it's Well, I would fun. love to collaborate with you. Uh we are uh just right at the top of the hour, so I want to just uh thank everybody for listening and our guest today has been Gloria Felt and Gloria is the author of No Excuses: 9 Ways Women Can Change how <clears throat> excuse me how we think about power and uh, if you haven't read it i i really encourage you uh to grab a copy of the book and uh you will you will understand why gloria uh founded her current organization and gloria can you share with folks the url uh for your organization so that they can follow you and i know you've got all the social media icons and your blog and and uh, a way for them to donate to you. So would you share that with our guests? Yes, Chicky, thank you. The website URL is taketheleadwomen.com. We are a nonprofit, but we chose to use the .com, and, and we, we, uh, we use the full taketheleadwomen.com phrase in our URL. Right, and in addition media. to the programs that you've got that people can sign up for, you also craft uh, custom programs for organizations that that would like to bring you in, and uh, of course, knowing that their organization will end up being more profitable uh, should be a powerful motivator for wanting you to come in and, and help them out. Indeed, we do. Thank you. Yes, and our we are on all social media. Our Twitter handle is at Take Lead Women, but everything else is Take the Lead Women. Okay, terrific. Well, Gloria, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, if you'd like more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, you can go to executivegirlfriendsgroup.com and you can listen to uh, our most recent shows. And then by joining the organization, you have full access to our 300-plus interviews with authors and experts. So thanks again for joining us. And we really appreciate it. And, Gloria, I hope you have an amazing weekend. My, my, my pleasure, Chicky, and uh, same back to you. Have a great one. Pleasure being Terrific. with Terrific. All right. Well, those of you who have been listening, just go out and change your game today. Thanks for joining us, and have a great weekend. And if you want to know more about solutions, just go to solutionswithaz.com. Thank you so much and have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald.